Hello and welcome to Architecture Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. I'm your host, Di Snape, and I have the great privilege of being in the Sydney Masonic Centre, Goulburn Street foyer, with Glenn Harper for this episode. Hi, Glenn. Oh, hi, Di. Thank you for um, inviting me to have a chat. We're walking up the stairs in the foyer. Uh, yes, we are. Now we're walking up the one of the uh, um, grand staircases uh, into the uh, Goulburn Street foyer. It took a large number of years, at least six years to build, and you can see why. You know, it's just all concrete. So, pouring concrete is a slow process. So that you don't have to listen to all of that bush-hammered concrete throughout this episode, (laughs) we're going to go down and record the rest of this discussion somewhere rather quieter. So Glenn uh, was awarded a Byra Hadley Travelling Scholarship in 2015, is that right, Glenn? Uh, 2000, uh, yes, 2015. And Glenn is uh, an architect at PTW. And if you'd listen to any other podcasts, you'll know that PTW are old friends of the board and have uh, supported last year's Sydney Architecture Festival amongst other um, projects of ours. This is not about them. This is about Glenn. We're going to talk about the Brutalist Project Sydney. Yes, so we're currently sitting in the lower lower section of the Sydney Sydney Masonic Centre. For those who are not familiar with the building, it sits uh, the southern end of the city um, on the corner of Goulburn and Castlereagh Street. It's it, a pretty remarkable building. At well, the it is, of the city. and it's remarkable that it has survived uh, virtually intact to this very day, knowing uh, how. Um, uh, a number of uh, these uh, brutalist buildings are under threat, especially in the city of uh, centre of Sydney. So-called addition was a, 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 a tower uh, installed on top of the building, but um, for those who are not familiar with the concept, it was re- the tower was originally part of the the overall concept of a, a strong base, concrete base, and a ta- multi-storey tower actually just given the appearance of pivoting on a point, which is quite remarkable as a, as a, as a concept of, of the 70s. I'm sure people would know it. It sits like an unbelievable balancing act, this tower that tapers down to a point where it sits on its base that then spreads out again. Yes, yeah, so uh, in some ways uh, it the... The composition represents the different functional uses of the building, which is an inherent part of brutalist architecture. So the base is quite solid, hardly any windows, contains um, conference rooms, and then this tower, which is pivoted on a point, is uh, has multiple windows in it, so it's, a, it's an office building. So uh, it's actually quite a, a multifunctional um, s- development. It was originally conceived by a firm of Sydney architects, which don't exist anymore, called uh, Joslyn and Gillings and Associates. And it was PTW, or Pettlethorpe and Walker Architects, who took the concept and finished it in the uh, early 90s. So the, the building itself has a very long, protracted history from uh, the uh, middle 70s, or early 70s, about 73 was the concept, and the base or the, the conference rooms weren't finished were finished in seventy nine, but the tower wasn't completed until ninety two. And then the glass component that you refer to is an interesting uh, addition 
uh, installed by uh, Pedal Thorpe and Walker Architects as a cafe. So it it gives life to the the street corner as a sort of transparent, glazed, modern intervention. Now we'll get around in a circular fashion to why exactly we're sitting in the composite room of yeah. the Sydney Masonic Centre very shortly. But I might just ask you if, say, somebody listening to this podcast might be interested in finding out more about this building or finding it, in fact, on a map, would they be able to find it, Glenn, on the Sydney Brutalist? What map? an interesting segue. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, now um, my study was uh, an outcome of the Bio Hadley Travel Scholarship. And while I was travelling overseas as part of the uh, requirements of the scholarship, I was contacted by uh, text by uh, an independent publisher in London wanting to know whether I was interested in providing editorial content for a forthcoming publication called The The Brutalist Sydney Map Guide. So uh, this map guide that you refer to uh, was published earlier this year and it's uh, probably the fourth in a suite of um, maps, map guides of brutalist buildings of international cities uh, across the globe. So what other cities in, are included in the brutalist guide? Uh, so the first publication on the brutalist map guide was London, followed by Washington, uh, and then Sydney, would you believe, the third? Oh, no, sorry, I make a mistake. The third was Paris, then Sydney. So we're up there in, in the suite of significant um, cities yeah. with a significant suite of uh, brutalist buildings. So it's quite, a, I think, quite a good uh, um, uh, platform to uh, promote uh, the, the wealth of uh, these buildings. From your research into brutalist architecture, What's similar about those cities, do you think, that um, makes them remarkable for their well, brutalist Well, I d- it's interesting. It, um, of all the, the cities, Sydney's the, the most unique of the collection because um, uh, London is on the Thames. Uh, uh, it's a much older city and the uh, brutalist buildings within that city are, are concentrated within towards the centre of the city. Uh, Paris, they're concentrated towards the uh, the inner ring. Uh, Washington, they're quite dispersed, but they're generally on on the north side of the the lake. Uh, of the buildings that form the basis of the Sydney Brutalist map, they're quite dispersed. Um, part of the requirement was to identify 50 buildings, and I made sure that they were 50 distinct buildings, just to demonstrate that the 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 type of of buildings that uh, were built in the 70s in the brutalist epoch were quite diverse. So uh, we had churches, schools, office buildings and a whole suite of uh, government uh, institution buildings, post offices, um, Commonwealth banks, schools uh, as in tertiary education and um, uh, government administration buildings and civic centres. So it's quite varied. Whereas the others, the, the bu- if you look at the uh, buildings built in London, they tended to be concentrated of uh, apartments and government buildings. So how far does the map extend around Sydney? Like those 50 projects are within what sort of a radius of well, the city? Uh, quite diverse. Um, the centre of the city, yeah. as in the city. C- C- Central Business District, the CBD, and the furthest one on the map is in Penrith, which is a, a warehouse. Right. Okay. Uh, so it extends from the centre up to um, DY, 
south to Sutherland and west to um, Cabramatta and Penrith. So it's quite broad. Part of the requirement for this guide, um, Blue Crow Media was looking for someone to provide quite um, specific uh, and well-researched um, projects. And um, it happened, the, the invitation happened right at the, at the right time when I had, uh, was in the, in the process of completing my Byra Hadley uh, scholarship report. I think the motivation is that not only uh, in Sydney are we experiencing uh, uh, all these buildings, all this built environment, uh, the buildings within this built environment are under threat. It's not only Sydney, but it's happening worldwide. Um, so um, there are buildings in the UK which are under threat, uh, buildings in, uh, in Paris which are under threat, and of course uh, a large number of, of buildings in Sydney which are under threat, which is the point of, of uh, my application for the Byra Hadley Travel Scholarship. So you've obviously been interested in um, the brutalist architectural style, shall we call it for now, for a long time. Look, this precedes your well, I, I guess that I've, I've always been interested in uh, architect. It may, may, may sound um, elitist, but I've always been interested in ar ar architecture that has a sense of authenticity. And I guess um, my interest in brutalism is that it occurs, the epoch or the style, whatever you want to call it, occurs right at the end of the uh, modern movement in architecture, where this, there was the last hurrah of of authenticity uh, in the construction of of these buildings, and these buildings generally had a very strong social purpose. I would say I would describe the this concept as has a clarity of architectural form. So there's no no wastage in uh, in these buildings. They may be. Um, uh, exaggerated and quite um, flamboyant in some regard, but there's certainly no wastage in, in uh, the elements. So there's a logic in terms of the expression of the parts and, uh, and then how that is built and, uh, and... So the authenticity that you refer to has more to do with an honesty of material expression. So I guess when I use the term authenticity, I'm probably referring to uh, the expression of the elements in the plan and also the use of the materials. You know, they tended to have um, quite rational, I think. And is that, um, how would you say that is related to the scale of these buildings? Add, added to that, I think, is another another layer of interpretation, and that is the, the concept of monumentality. It's a, it's a theme that runs right through the, the modern movements uh, and I think it in, when brutalism was explored in Sydney that the concept of monumentality was, was taken to its uh, nth degree. You know, there was an over-exaggeration over of the elements. If you look at uh, Karingai College of Advanced Education, uh, you know, there's very strong monumental forms, well-grounded uh, in, the, in the landscape. It's, they're not... They're not feminine in any way, you know. They're not sort of lightly. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they're not lightly timber-framed buildings that Let's touch the. Let's be general about femininity. <laughs> I think you could say that there are some quite feminine aspects of these huge curvaceous forms. That oh yes, yeah, in the yeah. form, yes. Mm. Um, I guess what I was referring to that they're they're re really real well-grounded buildings and uh, they're very strong and, and monumental in scale and material use. Coming back to the map for a moment. Yes. Glenn, 
Did you anticipate that's how your Byra Hadley's travelling scholarship might end up? No, not at all. Although um, the the Byra Hadley travel scholarship had all the application, all the study had two two major parts to it, <clears throat> and one part was a well-researched inventory, because I think at the moment, or until I completed the inventory, I don't didn't think that there was uh, s- sufficient information to confirm what these buildings uh, were and where they were located. And so I think I've undertaken, well, a fairly good, gr- solid grounding on, on, on an inventory of significant brutalist buildings within the Sydney region, but that region extends from Sydney to um, Newcastle, uh, south to Wollongong and west to Katoomba. So that was the first part of my um, travel scholarship was local travel and developing um, and formulating an inventory. The second part was, um, I think the critical part of the the, the scholarship was to develop um, a strategy for advocacy. And I think um, the biggest issue with um, brutalism these days for for clients who own these buildings or even for the general public um, is that people don't know what what brutalism means and what these buildings are. There tends to be a lot of ignorance um, just through lack of knowledge. And so the second part of my travel scholarship was to formulate uh, an advocacy program uh, and it ended up being a six-point program in, in the report and that was developed after visiting and interviewing three groups, BODs, people in uh United States and Canada, and each of those had three very different ways in which they went about their modern movement architectural advocacy. And so I used that as a basis of comparison analysis, and then I formulated my own um, <clears throat> strategy. And this, and of the six strategies, the first one was um, social media and Instagram feed, and the second one was a map guide of some form. So. Yeah, when I got the invitation from out of the blue from London from this independent publisher, I thought, "Wow, someone's re- <laughs> reading my mind." <laughs> wow, so really coincidental. That's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Well, I was I was actually gobsmacked. <laughs> no, it certainly answers the ambitions to a certain extent of the scholarship. You know, the intent of the bequest is to allow individual architects to undertake this research as a way of contributing to the profession. And I think, uh, you know, in another way, the, the board is very much concerned with how the profession is communicated to the public. Right. So and I personally have been following your Instagram oh. account for quite some time. It's very educational. Oh, th- oh, thank you. Um, so I started the uh, Instagram feed called, the, funnily enough, the... Uh, the Brutalist Project Sydney. And I, if you would like to follow Glenn on Instagram. <laughs> at, at Brutalist Project Sydney, all underscore between each of the words. I started that Instagram feed the day that I received notification. What I was trying to do with, with that feed was to use imagery, the best imagery that I could possibly achieve with my mobile phone. So again, uh, very low, low tech um, or sophisticated low tech um, apparatus accessible tech accessible tech thank you yes (laughs) take really good images fairly um 
edited images so that you're not distracted. So to present these buildings as, as fantastically as possible and then to include a very simple and accessible uh, sentences or information via two simple sentences. One of the things that I love about the document that you have produced through this approach of Instagram and using the accessible tech <laughs> is that there, this survey that you have undertaken of these buildings is really consistent in its viewpoint, which is very human necessarily. It's you from the street usually looking up at the building and I really appreciate what that communicates about, uh, as you say, the epoch um, to anyone approaching it, you know, regardless of how um, knowledgeable they may or may not be coming at it. Was that one of your considerations? Up to, up to a point. I thought that um, the, view, the viewpoint of the building when photographed was quite important. And I had considered using Twitter as social media or even Facebook, but I, I elected to use Instagram mainly because it's uh, visual and um, the message is being communicated to not only people in Sydney but to a much wider audience, uh, international audience. So um, I now have followers from Russia, um, the US, Canada, New Zealand, because uh, New Zealand has a very good uh, brutalist history as well. Um, so it's quite a broad range of... But I think the essential or target audience that I was aiming for was Sydney people. So to that point about the, the threat that yeah. you see these buildings being under, what's the value that you understand these buildings to hold? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Personally, I think that a lot of people tend to forget that um, recent buildings or recent he history or recent heritage is of value. And um, you have situations where um, buildings of 100 years old are con is considered as historic well, and, and worthy of, of protection. Well, my argument is that buildings of 50 years old uh, should be treated in the same way, especially if they're significant. And, um, and I think my study, a research study, came at the right time and 2016 was certainly a watershed for a large number of these significant buildings being presented to the, the, the pub, general public as, as un unworthy of protection and um, preference for, for their demolition. For example, Sirius Apartments, um, Bedura Children's Court, which is now, which has been at the Land Environment Court, but it's uh, and it's likely to be demolished. Um, there's the Waterloo Housing Estate. Um, there's a number of buildings within the um, campus of the University of Sydney, which have been earmarked for demolition. Um, there's likely that uh, a significant building within Macquarie University is likely to be demolished. I think part of the issue is there's been a not, not enough research done on identifying which of those buildings are significant and worthy of retention. So, you know, I'm not advocating that every brutalist building is, is, should be retained, but I, what I'm advocating is that there needs to be a, a, 
a grounding of research to determine what is significant and what's worthy of retention as demonstrations of our cultural value values. And so um, with the Heritage Committee um, at, of the Institute of Architects, they have a an inventory of significant buildings, but they that inventory tends to stop in the early 60s and there's probably not enough, hasn't been enough time or or pe- people to undertake research to determine what are those buildings post-1965 are worthy of inclusion on, on this register, the Institute of Architects Register of Significant Buildings. And only recently has the National Trust started looking at the, these, the buildings of this period. And even that the New South Wales State Heritage Office has only one or two buildings of this period on, uh, on, on their list. So there's still... There's a lack of information and uh, recognition of what's worthy of significance. So I, so that's where I saw value in the Byra Hadley Travel Scholarship and its report and the inventory to form a basis and grounding for, for further um, uh, study and um, inclusion of, of or picking out of the buildings of the of these list in the, of my list for inclusion as significant uh, brutalist buildings. And coming back to a point I raised earlier, that uh, that uh, recent buildings of 50 years of age are significant and are heritage. Uh, so you know, what what is the question of heritage? Well, it can be 20 years old, 25 years old. So you know, and um, and I think clients and the general public have, are fairly dismissive about um, buildings of our recent history, and and so um, and I'm. And the point of my report and social media and, and the Brutalist Map Guide is say, hey, look, these buildings are worthy of attention, you know, and let's let's just let's just slow down and consider more carefully what are those buildings that we're going to um, retain as as uh, as demonstrations of our cultural values of the of the 70s and and 80s. Could you talk a little bit about? Um, your thoughts on an approach to retaining mm. buildings, especially where they might challenge current current expectations. The Instagram feed does share stories about uh, positive adaptation. Uh, in particular, um, there's the National Acoustics Laboratory, which was built by um, the federal government, and that's located in Chatswood, and that's successfully been adapted for, by the uh, um, the Christian Science Fellowship Group as their um, Southeast Asia headquarters. And it's been done very well with a lot of sympathy. Um, clever um, hiding of new um, s- services and finding appropriate uses for the, the different um, spaces and rooms right across that... Um, uh, facility, so I think there are good positive stories, and I think part of the issue with serious apartments is is to demonstrate how successful that building can be adapted. Although the floor to floor is quite small, I can see that being adapted quite successfully as a boutique hotel. In part, yeah, mm. I think that would lend itself quite well as a new use. So I'm not suggesting that we mothball these buildings. I think that there's opportunities for clever and intelligent adaptation. And the current um, story is that Karingai College of Advanced Education 
which was um, which had been used by the UTS for many many years has now closed but it's currently being adapted for a high school um, what do you think today's architecture really should learn from the brutalist movement I think um, I think the brutalist Brutalist architecture has, still has a lot of stories that they can share and tell, tell us as architects practicing today, um, especially the ideas of, of how to construct uh, and call conceive an elevation, not necessarily from a, an urbanistic point of view, but as a three-dimensional object. And uh, I think also they can teach us about um, the craft of, of construction and um, we're, these days we're all too lazy, I think, to, to think about how actually the materials that go together. Uh, the building that we're in at the moment, the Sydney Masonic Hall, has, 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 um, has markings from um, softwood, which are about, you know, four metres long. There are some of these pores are in five metre pores, which are astronomical. You couldn't even achieve it these days. So when you think about these buildings, they're virtually handcrafted. You know, the idea of making formwork by hand and then pouring the concrete into, these form, into this formwork without holes or anything like that, you know, a constant vibration to get, to get that uh, casting perfect is something that we, we can learn from, yeah. I'm not saying that we try and um, copy what was done in the brutalist period but we can certainly learn learn a lot from what the, what 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 they were doing at that time well I certainly would like the uh, to thank the, the New South Wales architects registration board for um, for taking a risk in this uh, study of mine and I think that your approach through social media and the ability to share this information in, in an accessible way has probably taught us a bit of a lesson in turn about how to disseminate um, the outcomes of this incredibly generous bequest of Byra Hadley's. Um, and if any listeners would like to read Glenn's report as well as follow him on Instagram, you can download it from our website architects.nsw.gov.au And that's it from us today at the Sydney Masonic Centre. Um, it's been such a privilege to be able to record this episode of Architecture Insights for you here today. Um, it's always wonderful to be able to come into a, um, a building like this and inhabit it even for a little while. So thank you very much to Sydney Masonic Centre for allowing us to do so and thanks very much to Glenn Harper for coming in. Thank you for listening to Architecture Insights. I'm your host, Di Snape.